0: America is broken. America is crashing. The warning signs are all flashing red. Division. Hate. Violence. And cities filled with murder and every kind of evil. And the American church... We are half dead and in a coma. Now is the time for the church triumphant to rise up in power to save America. But we're as broken and as dead as the world. If we're to call our nation to repent, should we not first repent? How can we give the world what we ourselves don't have? First, everyone who calls themselves a Christian must turn away from all wickedness. The Apostle Paul told us that the the time would come when it would be terrible in the last days. He said, people will be lovers of themselves lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then the Apostle Paul adds this, which is so terrifying because it says that in the last days the church and the world will be just the same. He wrote in, Second Timothy, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So we're going to have churches. In the last days, we'll have churches. But they'll be filled with the same wickedness as fills the world. A form of godliness, but no power. And then Paul said something that shocks me to the very core. He said, have nothing to do with them. How do we not have anything to do with us? We are the church. He said, The church will be swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. And the truth is that the blood of Jesus removes all of our sin. Why do we not believe that the blood of Jesus removes all sin today? Because we love our sin. So we look at America with our wicked pride and call them lost. And in the midst of our wicked sin, we call ourselves saved. And yet the church today, we are in a coma and we are about to die. We are more than half dead our condition is terminal. If we do not repent, if we do not turn from our sin, if the Holy Spirit does not bring another great awakening, we will die in our sin. We must humble ourselves We must begin to spend whatever time is necessary to pray and to repent. We must turn away from our wicked worldly ways and our wicked modern beliefs, those wicked beliefs that deny the power of Jesus' blood to cleanse us and make us whole. We must seek the face of Jesus. Earnestly, zealously, crying out to him. We're in trouble. And yet the church today wants to go back to its normal way of living and have have the worship services. And yet even these worship services that are online, most of the pastors are still preaching the same pablum, the same Get wealthy schemes, the same comforting messages. My brother, my sister, we do not need to be comforted in this hour when America is crashing and will burn. And the church will also. Now Jesus gave us a parable that is both on one side terrifying And on the other side, with such comfort and encouragement. It's found in Luke, the 10th chapter. This is a story beloved by all, but misunderstood by almost everyone. Don't get sentimental about this story. Understand this is real life and real death. And as we're in a coma, beaten by the world, robbed of our righteousness because of the false theologies that have been preached to us and the wickedness of the modern church. Listen carefully. An expert in the law An attorney stood up to test Jesus. Luke, the 10th chapter, verse 25. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Literally in the Greek it is, what one thing must I do that I could inherit eternal life? Jesus said, What is written in the law? He turned the question around on this attorney. And the attorney answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is such a profound answer because it goes against everything in our modern church. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That is, with all your spirit and with all your soul. That is, your whole personality is to be given over to the Lord. We are pilgrims and strangers here. We are not to participate in the wickedness of the world. We're not to make excuses for sin. We're to repent, to confess and repent and turn our way to Jesus to love the Lord with all of our heart and with all of our soul, with all of our strength and with all of our mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this one thing and you will live. But the attorney, being embarrassed that Jesus had turned the question around on him and that he had given the answer that he obviously already knew. He wanted to push Jesus a little. And he said, well, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus begins to tell this very honest, real story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now that Jericho road is dry and barren. The warm air, the moist air from the Mediterranean comes in over Jerusalem. And then it hits the mountains and it drops all of its moisture And the other side of the mountain is absolutely barren rocks and desert. But it was a very well-traveled trail. It wasn't a highway as we know it. It was maybe three or four feet wide at the most. And some places so narrow that you couldn't carry a suitcase through. You could just barely squeeze through. Jericho is about 18 miles on this trail from Jerusalem taking a full day at least of hard walking and maybe longer. Today when people make that same journey they spend the night on the road. Now Jericho you remember from Elisha had trouble with their water. They are an oasis in the desert. And he healed that spring, and today it is known as Elisha's spring. It's still flowing fresh, fresh water. It's about a half a mile descent into Jericho. Jericho is at the same level as the Dead Sea. It's a hard, hard walk, but it was a thoroughfare for donkeys, even camels, as they made their way with trade. On this, he had to go through the Blood Canyon, a place where robbers would often wait and fall on the person coming through because they could easily strip that person clean or that convoy clean and then escape into the desert. There was no way to chase after them. And this man going from Jerusalem down the slope fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him. They took his clothes off. They beat him. And they left him naked, laying in the rocks and the dirt, half dead, unconscious. Now a priest had happened to be going down that same road, and when he saw the man, he did not hesitate. He just kept moving. He did not want to risk that those robbers were still about and would fall on him and that he too would be beaten and left senseless beside the road. Then a Levite came, but he hesitated, he came over and looked at the man. The man was bleeding. He was Broken. He was severely injured. He looked like he was dying. And now, please let me tell you that if this man were left in that condition in the desert, in the heat of the day, there was no water, he would die. And he would die in just a couple of hours from the dryness and the heat and from his wounds. then a the samaritan came now a samaritan was a a hated race they were a mixed breed they had been brought in and had replaced the jewish people and they lived in samaria they were hated by the jews and the samaritans hated the jews there was intense hatred, and it was racial. But this Samaritan in Jesus' story comes; he's riding on his donkey. Referred to then and and even now with half a smile as the Jericho taxis. He sees the man, and without any thought about the robbers still being there, he climbs off his donkey. And he immediately goes to where this man is him. He is a heart of great compassion and pity. He begins to pour wine into the wounds, the bleeding wounds, that they will stop bleeding. He begins to to pour in oil then, olive oil, that is also able to stop infection. And then he binds up the man's wounds so they'll stop bleeding. And finally he takes this half-dead man, whether conscious or unconscious, we don't know, but he puts him on his own donkey, drapes him over the donkey, and he takes him to an inn partway down to Jericho in the desert where this man can be cared for. The next day the Samaritan takes out two silver coins, probably denaries, a day's wages for a man on that day, I don't know, maybe comparable today to a hundred or two hundred dollars. He gives them to the innkeeper. And he says, look after him. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Such compassion. Such care. Such willingness to to suffer. Such willingness to sacrifice himself. And then Jesus asks the key question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the attorney answered, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and continue doing the same thing. Now, when we look at this story, the man asks the question at the beginning, who is my neighbor? Jesus answers the question who is my neighbor by saying you are the neighbor and any man in desperate need, any woman in desperate need, you are to help you are to minister to and we hear that wonderful story and it And it so matches our humanistic desires in America. But this is not a story of humanism. This is a story of redemption. Who is the Good Samaritan? Obviously, the Good Samaritan is Jesus Christ, rejected by men, hated and crucified. And he came down that Jericho road and he found a man half dead. That man is the church today. And if Jesus does not come down that Jericho road, we will die in the desert of America. And we will be unable to minister to the lost and the dying because we will die and the church will be destroyed. Right now we have these grand edifices. We have these wonderfully trained pastors. And we have this unclean relationship between the pastors and the churches where there's kind of an unspoken agreement. We will preach things that tickle your ears. We will preach things that you want to hear. We will please you. And the church says, yes, please us and tickle our ears. Talk to us about the Redskins and talk to us about the sports of the day and talk to us about nice sentimental stories that tickle us. Talk to us about things that stir our emotions. Give us strategies for how we can live a better life and be happier in this world. And this unclean relationship between pastors and churches is destroying the Christian faith in America. Where are the rebukes for wickedness? Where is the cry for the holiness of God? Where is the cry that God is holy and that we too must be holy if we are going to see him? It's absent from the American pulpit. In fact, the American pulpit is even teaching that we can't leave our sins. We can't be holy. Somehow, miraculously, when we die, we become holy. It's a fantasy fairy tale. The scriptures are very clear. You must be holy before you die or you will be hell-bound. Now there's another Story that I want to turn you to—it is equally terrifying. I've spoken of it many times, but we've still not gotten it. It's still not sunk in. I titled this broadcast all in Cop- all in capital letters. Warning, 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 the American church is crashing and it will soon burn if there is not a dramatic change. If the Good Samaritan does not come down the road in America and turn our hearts, if we do not repent, we cannot be saved. And if we cannot be saved, how will America ever be saved? These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. What deeds is he talking about? Are going to the worldly events the worldly concerts hosting the worldly concerts in our churches and charging a price to come in it's not worship it's entertainment it's wickedness show me a church that charges for entertainment in its venue and I'll show you a wicked pastor who heads that church and I'll show you a wicked congregation and board, a worldly place. If you're in such a place, flee. Don't look back. It's Sodom. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, or I'm about to vomit you. You make me sick, church. The church is sick, Jesus is saying. The last day church. He's agreeing with the Apostle Paul with what he's already written in Second Timothy. A form of godliness, but no power. You say, I'm rich. Have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The same description over here in Luke ten for the man who is beaten, stripped, left to die in the desert. Jesus is saying, You are that man. You are that church. America, you are that church. You've been stripped of holiness. You've been beaten by the world until you're afraid to even lift up your voice and speak or acknowledge that you're a Christian. You're pitiful, poor, blind, and naked because you love the things of the world, the flesh, and the devil. There has to be such a change. Please hear what I'm saying to you today. You don't have a life that needs to be tweaked a little bit. You have a life that has to come to Jesus and be utterly given up to him. I counsel you, buy from me gold. In other words, start to understand what is really valuable with Jesus. Refined in the fire. You will go through the fire if you decide. You will be persecuted in your family, in the church. You will be called, as I am, a fanatic. You'll be kicked out of churches. I have been kicked out of churches. I'm not welcome in that church anymore because I speak to them about their sin. Kindly, gently, with love and compassion, but they won't hear it. Leave. Don't even come on our campus. Don't talk to our people. White clothes to wear. Revelation 19.8 says, Those are the righteous actions of the saints. What righteous actions is he calling for? Spending our time and energy on helping others, on ministering to their needs, on stopping being a victim, stopping feeling sorry for ourselves. Stop crying about our wounds and cry over the wounds of others. I have a friend She's very poor. She takes her last dollar and sends it to the missions for the poor to the point I'm afraid for her. My mom and and my dad did the same thing. They would give so much of their money To help others, to keep radio broadcasts, Christian broadcasts on the air, to help pastors who were struggling, to help people who couldn't take care of their children and so they were brought into my family. There was always a stray being brought into my family. They didn't have enough money to buy food for all the family, but they did. It came by being on their knees morning and night. White clothes to wear, acts of righteousness, turning away from the gaming on the computer. It's unrighteous. Turning away from all the hobbies that may be okay, but steal our time. Turning away from the entertainment of the world the movies, the television. My heart leapt with joy this last week. A dear sister who listens to this broadcast, who loves Jesus, called and said, Pastor, you're right, I'm finished with television. I'm done with it. It's out. I won't have it anymore. I said, praise God. We've got to cut off the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we've got to get right with Jesus. He says, we have shameful nakedness, and we have to cover that shameful nakedness. And then he said, you need salve to put on your eyes so you can see. I'm trying to put salve on your eyes today to stir you up, to say, look, America is going to burn. It is crashing, and the church is being destroyed. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Be earnest and repent. Be zealous is the word. Be totally given over to repentance. And you say, Pastor, I," as one dear sister said, Pastor, I don't need to repent i said dear sister you are utterly deceived because your life is full of self you're only concerned about you go out find those who need you to comfort and pray and encourage oh i don't know how to do that we'll go find out it's not hard Begin doing things like turning away from bitterness in your mind. Turning away from anger. Turning away from judgments against others. Let the gentleness of Christ be evident in your life. Let the gentleness of Christ rise up in your spirit. Turn away from the harshness, the judgments, the criticism. So Jesus comes to rebuke us today. He says, so be earnest and repent. We're going to have to get on our faces before a holy and righteous God. Because there's no holiness in the American church today. We spend our money the way the world spends its money. We, we have the same TV shows. We have the same entertainment. We have the same vacations. We have the same luxurious lifestyle. So be earnest and repent. And Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus stands at that door and it's now going to be determined whether he will bring judgment if we will repent. If we as a church do not repent, the world has no chance. Revival has to begin in the church and spread through the whole nation. But if we don't allow it by our false ideas, by our intellectual dishonesty before God, if our our thoughts are, are so filled with our own needs and our own prosperity and our own pleasures how can we ever know a holy god but he says if we will open the door and you open that door by confession and repentance and beginning to do the righteous things that we know we need to be doing in fasting and prayer those things that will bring us into fellowship with Jesus by weeping over our sin by turning from it he says to him who overcomes that is to him who is willing to overcome being lukewarm to him who is willing to pay the price to become a real Christian. He says, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. That's what the Lord is saying to the church today. You're about to be destroyed. You're about to lose everything. You're about to lose America. Violence and evil on every hand. You think you play no part? You can sit back and not engage in the battle for righteousness? And not sacrifice your money and your time and your energy that the gospel can go forth in power? You think you can sit back and just consume all of your wonderful things and your wonderful lifestyle and go to heaven? Are you fooling yourself? Are you kidding me? Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And hell is going to be filled with people who call themselves Christians, but who were never willing to pay the price to leave their sin and to be filled with the righteousness of Jesus. It's a free gift, but it's not imputed to you. It is imparted to you in response to confession and repentance and a new behavior, a new lifestyle of commitment to Jesus, reading the Word, praying, fasting, earnestly seeking after Jesus. There's one last passage I'd like to share with you today. It's very familiar. But this is the command that the, that the man of love, the disciple who loved Jesus, My favorite disciple, if I have one, John the Beloved. He writes, do not love the world or anything in the world. Do not love the television programs. Do not love the music of the world. The hip-hop and the other wicked sounds. The rap. Do not love it. Do not love anything in the world. The lust of the eyes, the pride of life, don't love the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You may be in the church, but you don't have the love of the Father in your heart. And you're lost. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, that is to be pampered, for the luxury of the world, the lust of his eyes, all the stuff he wants to own, and the boasting of what he has and does. I'm the man. Look at me. John says it comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever dear children this is the last hour and as you have heard the antichrist is coming even now many antichrists have come this is how we know it's the last hour they went out from us but they didn't really belong to us most of the church in America does not belong to Jesus Christ. It belongs to the world, and the church is filled with, filled with the world and the flesh and the devil. It says if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Where do you belong today? Are you a part of a godly church? Does your pastor rebuke you with arrows of conviction from the Holy Spirit? Do you know what it means to leave your sin and walk holy before Almighty God? Are you filled with his presence? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Not the happy spirit. Not the funny spirit. Not the barking spirit not the gold-dust spirit. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit, the godly spirit, the sacred spirit, the spirit that comes in the name of Jesus and finds you broken and bruised on the Jericho road and binds up your wounds? Oh, my brother, my sister, We need Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit to come and bind up the wounds of this church in America that's in a coma, that's unconscious, bruised and broken and almost dead. It starts with you, it starts with me. I've made so many mistakes, I've grieved so the heart of God so many times. But in his great mercy, he's come and picked me up. Brought me to life and bound my wounds up. Stayed with me and healed me. Carried me. Oh, I tell you, we serve a God. An awesome God. A God who is so filled with love and compassion and mercy. And he wants to fellowship. But we can't fellowship with God when we're fellowshipping with the devil. You can't fellowship with the devil and with God. You can have some sentimental deal where you say, I love Jesus and Jesus loves me and he's my best buddy. But if you're walking in known sin against God, it's an antichrist you're fellowshipping with. It's the devil tricking you and fooling you. For God is holy and he's not going to come to a man or woman in total rebellion against him who just demands a sentimental, entertaining Jesus, a cotton candy Jesus, a Jesus who's spray painted on the outside but inside filled with dead men's bones, a hell raiser. You can't love Jesus and the devil. You can't love the world and Jesus at the same time. You have to be separate from the world. You have to come out and repent and gain the victory. It's not an easy victory to gain because it means we have to be crucified with Christ. It means we have to lay down our life as we know it. And we have to be born again into a new life in Christ Jesus. And it's not a mutant life. It's not a life that is half holy and half sinful. When a man or a woman is truly saved, they stop all known rebellion and sin against Jesus. Now, that's not to say they won't fall back into sin. They won't make a, a foolish choice and go back. They may. I have. But First John says that we have an advocate with the Father who will forgive us and cleanse us from all impurity. Have you been cleansed from all impurity? If you have not, you are part of the problem causing the church of Jesus Christ in America to crash and burn. And if we crash and burn as a church, who will save America? You are warned today. I have faithfully warned you. It's time to get right with Jesus now. To turn away from wickedness. I know what's coming. America is going to have its cities burning. Rioting. Thuggish behavior. Our economy is going to crash. There's going to be a whole new currency established. A one world government is sweeping in. Nothing is what it seems They're using this virus to strip away the rights of Americans because we're blind and dumb and naked and bruised and in a coma. What are you going to do when the devil comes for you? Does he already have you? Or have you been brought to life by Jesus Christ Filled with the Holy Spirit, and now searching for others to minister to them and call them to revival. Let's pray. Oh Lord, on this edition of Pilgrim's Progress, I have given the warning that you put in my heart to give. I see what's coming. Every kind of evil destruction is about to fall upon America. And America will burn. But Lord, what about your church? Is it to burn with the wicked? Because we're wicked. Lord, would you come? Would you convict the pastors of our nation to stop this Wicked relationship with the church where we tickle the ears of your people. Oh Lord, come. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I know some of you are angry because of what I've said today. I make no apology. It's time we speak very clearly and very straight about what's necessary if America is going to be saved. And if America's to be saved, the church must turn around first. And judgment begins in the house of the Lord. So it really doesn't matter what you think about what I've said. It matters that I've spoken the honest word of God to your heart. And I urge you, Repent you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Would you post this message on your YouTube or on your social media network you can go directly to our webpage nationalprayerchapel.com and these messages are all posted there this one will be up this evening God bless you my brother, my sister it's a very serious time I love you I'll talk to you soon